In today's world, people face challenges and struggle with themselves. Every Sunday on the I Am Podcast, we will explore unique individual stories who have defined their I Am, and together we will identify the tools that help them define their I Am. We will use these tools in our lives to help us overcome challenges and define our I Am so we can be a better version of ourselves. Have you ever wondered where we get updates from hurricanes like Katrina, the wind speeds, um, so we can get everybody to safety? All of the things that deal with the weather, I've always wondered how we get that information. So today I'm here with Master Sergeant Karen Moore. She's a load master, a drop sun operator with the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron. She's going to tell us a little bit about her and her store. How are you today, Karen? I'm good. How are you, sir? I am well. Thank you for coming on the show. This is going to be interesting. So tell the tell the listeners a little bit about you. Who is Sergeant Karen Moore? Well, I am uh, just like anybody else. Uh, born and raised in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, raised by my great-grandmother. Was uh, abandoned by my natural mother. So my great-grandmother raised me. I joined the Marine Corps at age 17. I actually had to get a waiver to go in. Uh, after being in the Marine Corps for eight years, um, I got out for some time, and then I joined the Air Force Reserve, and here we are today. You make it sound so easy. Let's go back to the <laughs> beginning when you say abandoned by your mom. I know that brought some self-doubt and maybe uh, some other challenges in your life growing up. How was that? Yeah, it's um, you know, I was raised by my great-grandmother. Uh, my older brother and I, we were raised together by my great-grandmother. And she did a, a fantastic job of raising us, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that, you know, we we stayed in the family because, you know, anybody could have gotten us, but she wanted to make sure that we stayed in the family. And, uh, yeah, as, as the story goes, I, we were told uh, later in life that our, our natural mom, I don't know where she went or, or what was going on, uh, but she left, and the fire department had to kick in our door. And they found my brother, <laughs> they found that joker under the sink in the kitchen eating a box of cereal. And I was somewhere in the house, but I was crying. And I was I was really sickly. And uh, my great-grandmother came to the rescue. She, she took us in. My grandmother couldn't take us in. She actually already had nine kids of her own. So it was my great-grandmother that picked up that, that slack. Uh, growing up, you know, we didn't. We didn't really, we, of course, growing up, you always can have your wants as a child, but we didn't have any needs that weren't met. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, she, you know, like I said, she did, she did a great job. I, I know who my natural mother is. Uh, we have a relationship today. You know, we grew up knowing who she, who she is. We went to the same church. Uh, I also have a younger brother, and she raised uh, my younger brother, but uh, just left my, my older brother and I. I wouldn't say out to out to dry. She abandoned us. But funny thing is, when I was uh, I was what twelve years old, and my older brother was fifteen. He's three years older than me. 
he actually went to live with my natural mom and our, our younger brother. Mm-hmm. And I stayed with my great-grandmother. And was that by choice, or what happened with that? Yeah, it was by choice. It was something that he wanted to do. Uh, again, growing up, you, you go through your teenage years, you become a little rebellious. <laughs> but uh, that's something that he wanted to do. He wanted to go live with her. And uh, I, I chose to stay with my great-grandmother. That's cool. Marines are badasses. So how at 17, what made you want to be a badass? Or were you just a badass and you had to escape from uh, being a badass on the streets to organize badass? That's a good, that's a good one. You know what, I'm going to tell you like this. So, you know, everybody, I, and I said earlier about everybody facing their challenges, right? Uh-huh. So my life has, has not been easy. It has had its share of challenges. Growing up again, when my older brother, when he went to go live with my great, with my, with our natural mom, mm-hmm. it um, it left me with my great grandmother, and there was a, the abuse started. Mm-hmm. Um, my great grandmother would get one of my aunts to beat me. She would call my aunt, and she would come down. My aunt lived right down the street from us, and my aunt would beat me mm-hmm. because my great grandmother told her to. So. Um, Let's see, years later, my aunt would apologize you know, to me, but it still, there was abuse in there. So uh, at the age of 17, I was tired. You know, you get tired of getting beaten for no reason. You know, we African-Americans, we going to get the switch. We got to go get our own switch off <laughs> Kids, they don't know nothing about that. <laughs> hey, that's psychological trauma, man. Right. <laughs> you going to send me to... Uh, pick something for me. Go get my own exactly. Right, and then my my grandmother, my great grandmother, she would uh make me go get a switch, right? And sometimes she would braid them together, and she would strip the leaves off until that one leaf on the end. I still don't understand that. Hey, that's that swing power. Right, but man, that's, that's trauma for us. <laughs> but anyway, moving forward, you know, my aunt, like I said, years later, she would apologize to me doing it she you know and, and she explained to me why she did it um etc etc so again there's the challenges there being at home my older brother was gone so it was just me with my great grandmother who would call my aunt to beat me and i got tired of doing this or going through this i should say so at the age of i was in a rotc maybe our junior rotc when i was in high school mm-hmm. had a great mentor there and uh, there would always be this Marine recruiter that would come out to our drill meets. And I just loved the way the uniform looked. You know, there'd be some other service branches there, too. But it was something about the Marine Corps. I just loved the way that uniform looked. Mm-hmm. So, fast forward, I joined the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I had to get a waiver. My great-grandmother signed it. And uh, I was like, I- I'm getting away from home. <laughs> I'm going to get away from here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I, my first, what, after boot camp, my first place where my schooling was was in uh, 29 Falls, California. And I acted the purity fool out there. First time <laughs> away from home, <laughs> I acted the fool. I showed up. <laughs> I can't even tell you everything I did because then I really get in trouble. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. We're going to keep that on the low. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So, 
did your aunt apologize after you got trained to kick up butt or, or before? <laughs> she apologized after. <laughs> <laughs> you came back ready. And so you face those challenges being abandoned, uh, fears, being beaten, and then you had a new challenge, yourself, uh, when you got out to 29 Palms and what you were doing to yourself. How did you navigate through that piece of life? I can really say that having a, a good group of people around me in the Marine Corps, my Marine Corps family, I wasn't, once you get into the military, you know, things change for you anyway. The group, the type of company that you keep, because everybody's in the military and nobody really wants to mess up. So it's the the type of people that I keep and that I kept around me at that time, always positive. Uh, There's always going to be some knuckleheads where you go, don't get me wrong. But I have always managed to stay away from the knuckleheads. Um, just have a good group of people around me that encourage me, that let me know that, hey, you all right, we got you. <laughs> nice. Because it is a big family in a sense, and is that what you felt when you got to uh, the military? Because it sounds like you were missing that in the beginning, but uh, the military brought that family piece to you, huh? My okay. grandmother, who, who is, she's my saving grace. Yeah. She was always around. She lived right down the street from us. We all lived kind of on the same street. Uh-huh. But the military, uh, that just more community, I felt more secure around. That's weird, huh? I felt better around people that I didn't know at the time yeah. than the people that I, that I knew back home. Yeah. That's weird. In a sense, but it, I mean, given some of the things and experiences, I think that that's kind of normal, maybe. Right. Weird that's, normal. Let's call right. it that. <laughs> oh, God. I, I ain't too far out there. <laughs> weird normal. I like that. We all got a little weird normalness about us. Even if it, right. normalness, I don't even think that's a word, but we on the I Am podcast. Right. We say what we want to say. No, normality and weirdness. Hey, you know, I like how you made that good, Sergeant. (laughs) So you navigated through the abandonment, some of your fears, being beaten through yourself uh, in 29 Palms. What happened next? I'm going out into uh, the rest of my Marine Corps, um, I should say, uh, duty. Because after 29 pumps, after, you know, being there, then they send you out to the Fleet Marine Corps. And uh, I was stationed, went overseas to, where was I? I was in uh, Fatima, Okinawa, Japan, stationed at Fatima, mm-hmm. working in a communications center. And you're overseas, again, you're away from everybody, so you develop a whole new family with different, with a, a different group of people that you just were in school with. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Again, it's people that look out for you. And over there, I had a great experience overseas. I had I had a good time. How was uh, the culture over there? 
no different because remember that we're on a military base. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's Americanized. So most of the time you're around Americans. Uh-huh. So it's, it's no different. It was no different. I mean, of course, I got out in town and, you know, did other different things over there and I enjoyed the culture of food. I'm, I'm a big foodie. So you and ate I crickets? Now, <laughs> I should be a lot bigger than I am. <laughs> Did you <laughs> did you eat crickets or roaches? No, no, I did not. <laughs> Do they sell that for that. real? No, I, I have no idea. Because over and over now, I mean, I ate, um, I was big on chicken and seafood. That's always been my thing. Okay. So, didn't stray too far from that. <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, did you eat any of the native food? I had like, uh, well, they they Americanize it over here, but like yakisoba, and believe me, I did I never had like egg drop soup. I never had that until I got back to the states. Uh-huh. I didn't like I didn't like how it looked. <laughs> yeah, nah. I, actually, I've smelled it and it didn't smell as good. So right. But, well, yeah. I mean, I do. You do like your fried rices, but it's real fried rices over there how they eat and everything they eat over there they have rice have it with the rice so eat a lot of rice and whatever you eat you know but it, it's they make it real it's not it's not bad over there i really really enjoyed it um if you act right people will treat you right and that's that's anywhere you go yeah well i can't say that for today but you know <laughs> for the most part don't forget, we all a little normal weird, so you know how it right. goes. Right, <laughs> that's right. All right, so you the communication, and uh-huh. so Marines communication, Japan, and now you have made history. Right. But you did yeah. it from a different branch. How did that work? Well, after I I had a son. And when I had my son, that my gunny at the time at Camp Lejeune told me that I could have my son, had two choices. I, I could have my son or get out of his Marine Corps. I said, okay, that's, that's easy. I'll get out to your Marine Corps. <laughs> so that's what I did. So I raised my son uh, as a single mom until he was 14. His dad and I were on good terms. Of course, we had to be on good terms to, to raise him. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the age of 14, I sent my son made the hardest decision of my life, and that was to allow my son to go live with his dad while I entered the uh, Air Force Reserves. I had to go to school again to their tech school, mm-hmm. and I uh, couldn't take my son with me. So I allowed him to go live with his dad and stepmom while I went to school. And... Uh, I joined the Air Force Reserves and decided to become maintenance because I didn't go right into flying right away. Mm-hmm. I joined the maintenance squadron, uh, still at Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi, and fixing the airplanes, working on the Hurricane Hunter airplanes, working on the tactical squadron airplanes, just fixing the planes, making sure they got off the ground. And you went from being disrespected as a woman, right? Because I'm pretty sure that was crazy for him to uh, talk to you like that. Right. And and cleaning and preparing the 
fighter jets, I'm not sure the correct terminology, to actually flying and providing the world the information that they need to keep safe. Right. So, yeah, I went um, from Marine Corps, got out of his Marine Corps, which, of course, no one can take that title away from me, but because uh, I did eight years. Mm-hmm. Got out of the Marine Corps, um, was in the civilian sector for eight years, and then I joined the Air Force Reserve as uh, in maintenance where we um, we fix the planes. We work on them. I was an aircraft electrician mm-hmm. called E&E, Electrical and Environmentalist. So uh, I did all the electrical work, anything from the, from the nose of the plane to the tail of the plane. If it had anything to do with electricity, I was on it. Nice. So you pretty much knew the planes front and back before you even got oh, into yeah. this. Oh, yeah. I knew the planes front and back before I got over to flying them. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And how long have you been in your current role? I cross-trained over in 2013. From 2008 to 2013, I was uh, in maintenance. Okay. And then I cross-trained over in 2013. And fast forward, you've made history because you are the first minority female to fly. How does that feel, given a lot of these challenges that we've been talking about on the podcast? Well, you know what, Um, James, it seems my life has been filled with with challenges. Even uh, when I cross-trained over... So I cross-trained over in 2013, Mm -hmm. and I had to go to uh, all the schools to become a loadmaster. Well, my last school was uh, Sears School, which is survival, and that school takes place in Spokane, Washington. Now, people always ask me, or, or when people are faced with something difficult, they ask me, well, how did you do it, or what do you think, or what... And I tell them, it's the same thing, this is the same way that I thought about things in school. I look at the person in front of me and I say, if they can do it, well, damn it, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse. So SEER was a challenge for me because I was the second oldest in the class. Everybody else was young whippersnappers. And then when we went out uh, in the mountains, I actually ended up tearing my uh, LCL. Mm. Uh, so I... Uh, a painful experience like here we go again another setback I had to drop from that class from SEER I had to have knee surgery on my knee uh, for the second time this is this is twice that I my knee got tore up I had to have knee surgery on my knee and then a year and a half later I had to go back to SEER all over again so even though and that was your last class huh the, the very last one damn Yes. So, um, I get, I, before I even go back out to steer, after I have my knee surgery, one of the guys on base, he's a public affair that he wants to interview me. He was like, you know, I, I think you're the first African-American female to be a hurricane hunter. And I was like, well, whatever. You know, I don't even want to talk about that right now. I got to get through this school. I was really down on myself, but hard on myself mm-hmm. because at the top, when I got hurt, it took so long for them to get me to surgery that the doctor told me that I would never walk normal again 
and then the doctor told me that I had two choices. Everybody's giving me all these ultimatums. <laughs> two choices. Told, yeah, he said, because I had a bad limp. It was, it was really bad. And so he told me that I would walk with a permanent limp. And I was like, man, you know, this, is, this sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here I am. I just want to fly. I'm just trying to do my job. Yeah. But he's giving me all this bad news. So, anyways, he tells me, you know, that, and I'm like, dude, this this is horrible. So he says, you you can either get out of the Air Force or you can get another AFSC, which means another career field. Mm-hmm. And I take that, and I'm I'm crying now. I'm like, I've worked so hard to be where I am. I've given up my job. I've given up my son. And this is the result. This is what all this leads to. So, uh, uh, man, <laughs> I was down. I go to physical therapy, and uh, this physical therapist says to me, and I go in there, I'm not really into it. I'm like, whatever. Just going through the motions, basically. Mm-hmm. And he, he sits me down. The doctor calls me in the office, and he says, uh, because before, you know, when you go to physical therapist, or physical therapy, there's a doctor that sees you, and then he lets you work with the therapist. Mm-hmm. So I go, the doctor calls me into his office, and uh, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, physical therapy, that's what y'all want me to do. And he's like, you know, giving me all this rundown about me not putting my effort in, and I'm, it's going in one ear out the other. So then he says to me, he's like, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to fly. And then I, now I'm starting to cry, because I'm a big crybaby. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I get upset, I'm the type of person I cry. So I'm, I'm a crying, and he's like, no, what is it that you really want to do? And I just yell at him, and I was like, I want to fly. And I just yell it. Uh-huh. And he's like, sits there for a minute and looks at me. I'm like, well, then you'll fly. Get myself together. And he's like, but you got to work. I'm, you know, snotting everywhere. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Yeah. You know, lips quivering, snot running down, trying to use my sleeve because ain't no tissue around. This is a, yeah, it was one of those cries. Doc told me, he's like, well, then you'll fly. So, uh, man, I put in a lot of work, a lot of pain, and uh, ended up again. It's, it's like, yeah, Karen, so uh, let's revisit this story. So what story? What you got? You are the first African-American female hurricane hunter uh, loadmaster that's ever been, that we've ever had. Man, stop playing. For real? Like, years ago, this is like, I remember somebody mentioning that, but I wasn't, you know, didn't want to, I wasn't into it. <laughs> yeah. It was whatever. But now I'm like, y'all serious? So um, the public affairs guy went and got the history person to go and look it up. Nope, never been another one. You, you first. Wow. That's what I say. Wow. What took so long? You? <laughs> Yo, damn knee surgery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. The Air Force came along, you know, 1942. Uh huh. After the Army Air Corps. And you mean to tell me that no other black female wanted to get their hair wet? <laughs> you already know how that go. And another funny story, as you was telling me, so you fly 
and you scared of heights. Man, say that again. <laughs> I, 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 I said, I said, I said, you fly and you you scared of heights. Yes. Yeah, I am afraid of heights. It's, it's bad, too. I got, it's funny because, like I was telling you earlier, I, I will stand on top of a ladder and I'm, like, shaking and, uh-uh, I got to get off this thing. But I can be on that plane. And the minute we take off, we, we you know, wheels up, flaps up. It's like, all right, this is cool. Wow. <laughs> and I will stand in the window of the place, stand at the door and looking out the window. But we're doing our, our turns and everything. Mm-hmm. And if if the door went down, I'd fall right out the plane. Have you ever did, have you ever, uh, did skydiving? So you'll stand up in the plane and look out. Boy, I tell you. I know, it's crazy. I, it's crazy. That normal weird stuff starting to come out. <laughs> Man, I will not skydive for the life of me. But flying? Oh, yeah, all day. Let me tell you something else, too, James. I wanted to take pilot lessons. Uh-huh. But I can't because I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> <laughs> I get too scared. I'm like, uh-uh. Man. So tell <laughs> you know me. Go ahead. As I say, you know what it is? It's the, the, that little plane, because I went up for a flight lesson. I was like, no, I don't I don't have this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that little plane. Being on a big military plane, I'm good. But those little planes, no, that's all right. The one that the wind control, which way you going? Right. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> oh, weirdo. I know. Hey, don't forget the normal part. Tell me the one of the most exciting times you've had up there in the air when you was dropping. What is the uh, machine that you guys have? What is it called that you guys drop into the uh, hurricanes? Yeah, the instrument that we release is called a drop sound. Uh-huh. And the drop sound, it's maybe, let's see, maybe a foot and a half long and maybe about four inches in diameter, four to five inches in diameter. Um, release the tube. The tube collect or the instrument it collects uh, your wind speed, your wind direction, mm-hmm. which way the wind is going. It also collects a relative humidity, which we can convert it over to dew point depression, and it also collects your temperature. So as it's falling through the atmosphere, it's sending this information back up to us uh, in real time, and we're getting this information once it once the. Uh, the uh, drop sun hits the water, it'll stop transmitting. So that's how I know that it's in the water. Mm-hmm. I take all the information, I do a quick quality control check on it to make sure everything looks good, that there's not a lot of missing data, or there's no missing data that I need, and I send it over to the weather officer who sits right next to me on the plane. And then the weather officer, they take the information, uh, give it one final check, and they send it to the National Hurricane Center. And that's how us normal folk get all the updates <laughs> yes sir yeah the national hurricane center they'll take the information and they send it out uh, to the weather channels so how many times do you guys have to drop um before a hurricane gets to the united states when you spot them is it a one-time thing or is it as many times as it needs to be it's as many times as it needs to be now for our mission um the National Hurricane Center, they will 
contact us, and they give us like 24 hours to get out to a place, mm -hmm. to a site, and once we get there, uh, we'll, and we take three planes, so it's three crews that go out and, and do this, so we can fly, we have 10 aircraft, we can fly three storms simultaneously from the Pacific all the way out to the Atlantic, you know, to the Gulf, or, you know, so we can fly be in three places at one time flying three different storms all at the same time wow we'll go out to a place yes a lot of people with it <laughs> a lot of people we'll go out to a place we'll get set up and then we start flying the storms now we'll pass through a storm we can um fly it every you know every six hours sending in a report every three hours depending on how close it gets to land every 12 hours mm. we start out probably doing every 12 hours and then, and then we'll go six hours and then three hours. Wow. So I just want to reiterate this. The person that's scared of heights flies <laughs> in a plane yes. through or above no. hurricanes. Dude, look, we're going right through a hurricane at 10,000 feet. <laughs> fly right through it. And and our flights are could be anywhere from... Nine hours to thirteen hours. I've been on a thirteen-hour flight. Mm. Adrenaline rushing because you got to fly through a storm. Man, let me tell you. Okay, so before you get to a storm environment, uh, it's real calm, mm -hmm. you know. And then as you're getting closer to the storm, just like you all see on radars, how you see like the circular pattern, pattern, the cylinder pattern, right? And then mm -hmm. you see like the winds from the outside of, of the center of that circle. Yeah. Those winds can reach anywhere like 150 miles outside of the center of the storm. So getting into a storm environment, when I talk about that, that's what I'm saying, maybe like 150 miles outside the center of a storm, that's where you, it, it starts getting fun. Because that's where you start feeling your winds and you get your little, you know, the airplane is shaking. And we work and then we are in full work mode. So what we'll do is we'll fly, you know, through a storm, we'll go all the way through it, you get those winds, then you get to the eye wall, then you get to the center, you go straight through to the other side, eye wall, and then out again, and we may fly 150 miles, let's just say, outside that way. Mm -hmm. And then we'll cut across, it's like the letter A, we'll go up, and then we'll turn back down, and then we'll go across. And we may do that four times, it's called an A pattern, maybe three or four times, because mm -hmm. it, it takes a while. We'll fly that, and we're dropping an instrument at the eye wall and the eye, and on the exit side at the other side of the eye wall. Wow. Yes, indeed. Talk about fun. I don't <laughs> know about that. <laughs> Try eating when, you, when you're going through a hurricane. I'm <laughs> not going to be either. I'm going to be the dude <laughs> who is going to mess oh, up man. everything because right. I am going to be... Probably, if it's a sink under the sink, eating some cereal like your brother was. Right, right. <laughs> Look, I, I learned my lesson trying to eat. The first time I went into a store, uh -huh. I tried to eat, uh, I was eating chili, and I was, I, me, I'm trying to eat right before we get into the storm. That didn't work out too good, man. I just had to put my food away and just wait. <laughs> so now I learned the trick. The trick is to eat well before you get into a storm environment. Mm -hmm. And then when we're finished doing our part and we're headed back in, then I can eat again. 13 hours, no food. Man, yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, well, you, 
you get the right before you get in. So it's maybe like let's say six hours before, because if you eat right before you get into a storm environment, mm-hmm. you know it's it's maybe about four to six hours before you're gonna eat again. Okay. Oh, that's Depending not on bad. how far, yeah, the, the storm is. So you're not up there starving. We we do have microwaves. <laughs> <laughs> so through all the pain and challenges that you face. What was one of the most important lessons that you've learned? The most important lesson that I've learned through everything is just to keep going. Mm-hmm. A lot of people take, when people say something negatively to them or something that's negative to them, they take that and they they feed off of it. Well, I feed off of that too, but I guess in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. I like when someone tells me that I can't do something. I like when someone tells me that I'm not going to make it because I'm like, okay, perfect. Now let me show you what I can do and what I will do. It was my, my own great-grandmother that told me. And she was you know, in the nursing home, and we went to go see her. So here's another story. Uh, after I had got the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. my, my great-grandmother wasn't doing good, and she was in a nursing home. So it's my grandmother, my natural mother, myself, my son. We all went to go see her. And it was a good visit, but the whole time she kept looking at me, giving me this, this weird look. And I couldn't figure it out. But when we were about to leave, uh, I said, you know, Mama, I love you, and I'll see you later. And she had some negative words for me to say. And she basically told me I was going to be just like my natural mom. You're going to be just like your mama. You ain't never going to be nothing. Mm-hmm. What she said to me. So I smiled, and I started singing It As Well. And I'm a, I am was raised in the church. I'm a big, I, I love singing. The, the music is, I'm a big music fan, fan yeah. of music. So I sang It As Well. And the, the, when I looked up, excuse me, the nurses from the nursing station were standing in the door. Because, I mean, I was really singing. Yeah. And smiling and, you know, whatever, it is well. Whatever you say, it is well. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that kind of stayed with me. And it's like, okay, you know, even my own great-grandmother, who I call a mama, because that's who raised me. My mama told me that I wasn't going to be anything, that I wasn't going to, you know, do anything with my life. And so how much more... Can somebody else say something negative to me that's going to affect me more than what she said coming from my own mama? Yeah. Right? So nothing that somebody else said to me can affect me like what she said. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, whatever you tell me, it's still, it's not going <laughs> to, it's not going to trump <laughs> what she said. Yeah. But I take those things and I feed off of those things and I go and I, I show you, this is what I can do. This is what I will do. This is what I've done. And it's not to brag or to boast or anything like that, because it's all, to me, it's all by the grace of God. I didn't ask to be the first of anything. Yeah. I just had uh, 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 something that I wanted to do. I just wanted to fly. I just wanted to be on the same plane as someone else. And it ended up allowing me to be in the history books. Nothing special about me, but just keep going. Yeah. Just keep digging. When someone tells you that you can't do something, awesome now let's do this (laughs) exactly well thank you for being a normal weird badass (laughs) (laughs) and for (laughs) 
keep it going before we wrap it up. Here on the I Am Podcast, we, of course, try to change mindsets, right? But um, I also believe in affirmations. So I usually ask a guest for an I Am affirmation before they leave us. So do you have an I Am affirmation that you could give to the listeners so they can use them in their daily life? My affirmation would be this. I am an outside-of-the-box doer. Mm. That's it. That's, that's no. I like that. <laughs> you are. You face yes, sir. abandonment, fears, uh, fears of heights, and you fly through yep. storms, beating, told you you'll never walk again, giving yep. ultimatums, and told you you'll won't be a great mother and look at you now a history making great normal badass mother that's right <laughs> outside of the box doer okay don't try to put me in a box you can't this story you cannot <laughs> i see well thank you so much thank you gang i dedicate this to you to the greatness in you and to the dream that you showed up on the planet to produce it is simply this, if you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, to work day and night for it, to give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for it, if all that you dream and scheme is about it, and life seems useless and worthless without it, and if you gladly sweat for it and fret for it and plan for it, and lose all your terror of the opposition for it, and if you simply go after that thing that you want with all of your capacity, strength and sagacity, faith, hope and confidence, and stern pertinacity, if neither cold poverty, famish or gulf, sickness or pain of body and brain can keep you away from the thing that you want, if dogged and grim you besiege and beset it with the help of God you'll get you have greatness in you.